Hello, welcome to another episode of Wake the Bride podcast. My name is Luke Beats. I'm trying out a new microphone today, so um, let me know what you think. Give us some reviews, leave us feedback on Facebook. Um, uh, If you can leave some comments or some reviews, even wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, to this podcast, we would really appreciate it. I I would really appreciate it. Um, Again, my name is Luke Beats, and this is Wake the Bride podcast. It's... um, Our goal in doing or the reason why we do this podcast is found in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 12. The Apostle Paul states that knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. And let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It is my goal to help stir a sleeping church and motivate weary believers by looking at current events, Bible prophecy, and apologetics. Hopefully, by the end of each episode, we can better see as Jesus did in John 4.35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already. To harvest. Today, what I want to look at is um, three different and distinct views of eschatology or of end times, how people will, will view the outworking or the uh, how everything comes together at the end, um, at the very end time. Um, you know, not everyone thinks and views things exactly the same way that I or, or you would view them. Uh, and on some topics, when we realize this, it is very shocking. It's a shocking realization to come to that. Wait, you don't you don't see this like I do. You don't. You're not viewing this the same. Um, it can be extremely shocking. Or maybe I shouldn't say extremely. It can be especially shocking uh, when it's uh, when the disagreement is on a topic that we feel seems so obvious or maybe essential or just so. I mean, I've grown up this way, and this is what I've always thought. Um, and really, it can be even more shocking, uh, depending on how drastically different uh, or foreign their views are to our own. Um, but unfortunately, we as humans, we're not always so ready to tolerate divergent views. If someone don't view things just like I do, I'm not always so quick to be like, hey, that's fine. You know, there, there's room for disagreement. Um, now I'm not saying we should be, as I like to say, squishy on topics because uh, I do not like when someone is dealing with something that I feel is important and they're just so squishy. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have opinions and you shouldn't be passionate in what you believe. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I should be able to tolerate a difference of opinion if it's not an essential doctrine of the faith. There are some heels, doctrinally speaking, and uh, beliefs of Christianity in that way that they're heels to die on. I mean, figuratively speaking, there are, there are things that we draw a line in the sand and say, hey, this is what is truth, and I will not budge. But then there are some things that really... Um, there is leeway and there is some give and take that we ought to be able to have. Now, in just a regular everyday scenario, um, 
just kind of give an example of that. There are some things that are really subjective to each individual person. Uh, for instance, uh, for instance, um, as the old saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and sometimes somebody can look at something. I, I don't know if you can tell the sound may be a little bit different today. I'm using a new mic, so I'm kind of trying to get used to it um, and how it sounds. So y'all bear with me. And if if it isn't sounding good, you know, if the sound quality is not the best, I apologize. Y'all bear with me. We'll get this all worked out as the reason this new mic. Anyway, uh, let me get back on topic. Uh, as, as the old saying goes, already said, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Some things are subjective. Some people... For instance, they will like one color more than another. Uh, some people will like one type of food above another. Some people prefer, prefer cold weather to hot weather, or some would prefer it to be warm outside and, and not as cold. Uh, those are subjective things. Um, here in Texas, where I'm from, we understand correctly that the right way Really, nearly the only way to drink tea. Just when it comes to tea, we know that the right way is sweetened. And especially, there may be a little difference on that, but generally sweetened. Uh, but especially, we want ice in our tea. We would like our tea to be sweet and to be cold. And hard as it is to believe. I know some people are going to find this hard to believe. But there are other places in the world where they would say, what? Why on earth would you put ice in your tea? And they would say the correct way to drink it. Now, they would be mistaken, of course. As I've already said here in Texas, we've got this figured out. But no, uh, they, they would say that, you know, I prefer my tea to be hot. And, and really, in all seriousness, I'm just joking there just a little. But in all seriousness, I myself, I love ice tea that's sweetened, um, but I also enjoy a nice hot cup of chai tea, maybe a, a hot cup of black tea. Uh, there are some other teas that I really like that I would drink both uh, cold or hot, but those things, I use those as an example to say there are some things that really, they're subjective. They're, they're not so much so important that I can't, that I can't be willing to say, hey, you've got a different view than me. And I'm okay with that. It's a valid view. It is equally valid. My view isn't better than yours. It's subjective. I like this better than I like that. And I should be willing to tolerate. And really tolerate isn't even the best word. Um, I should be okay with someone else's view. But on the other hand, there are other, and there are some things on which I am not willing to say that the other view is equal, that it is valid, that it is just as good or just um, as true as this position that I take. Um, for example, as a Christian, I am unwilling to accept as valid a view that contradicts the Bible. As a Christian, I refuse to consider any view of Jesus Christ that lowers him to less than 100% man and 100% God. As a Christian, I hold to the absolute reality that Jesus, being fully God, took on humanity and came to earth as a man and was born of a virgin. As a Christian, I fully acknowledge the fact that I was born a sinner and without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I would still be a sinner. 
with no hope of that ever changing. As a Christian, I 100% hold to the absolute truth that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no salvation available to mankind. On these things, I will not and cannot budge. These would be uh, scenarios and topics and, and beliefs that I would say that, that they are a hill worth fighting and dying on. I mean, these are things that, that I cannot budge on, and I have no desire to budge on these. Um, however, even when it comes to Christian doctrine, not the ones I'm talking about there, but in some Christian doctrine um, and Christian teaching and Christian belief, there are differences of opinion as to how these things would play out or work out or or how I would understand them as opposed to how maybe you would understand them. Uh, one of these would relate to the area of how the end times will come about, especially in relation to what is known as the millennial reign of Jesus. And, and that's the topic that I really want to look at today. And before I get too far into this, I do want to, to state that there are differences, as obviously, as I've already said, there are differences of opinion here. And there are people that love Jesus, that are saved, that have been, their sins have been removed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that through the grace and mercy of God, they are saved. But they may view things a little bit different than I do. Or they may view things in this topic in some ways that would be largely different than the way that I would view them. Um, But on this topic, I think we should have a measure of Christian grace, of saying, you don't have to view things exactly like I do, and you're still my brother in Christ, you're still my sister in Christ, and I love you, I disagree with you, and I'm more than willing to discuss it, debate this, to go back and forth on it, but... We ought to keep a good attitude. There, there. It's one thing to disagree, and it's one thing to de- to debate a topic, especially this one. But it's another thing to get nasty and ugly and mean spirited and mean about it. Nah, that's not Christ like. That is not right. If you have a different opinion than me, that's fine. Uh, now, if you were up to it, I would love to discuss it, and I'd love to debate the topic. I would hope we could keep a good attitude. I would do my best to. Um, I feel like I generally do a good job at do at that when it comes to especially this topic. I love it. It's a great interest to me. But anyway, I said all that to make the point that just because there are different views does not mean one person is more saved than another person based on their view or one person is a heathen and a heretic because of their view now. I don't think that's how we should view this. But there are three basic um, views. I'm sure there are others, but these are going to be the three most popular and the three probably most widely held throughout Christian history. Um, And all of these relate in one area or another. And really all of their names come from this one aspect. And that would be how the end times will come about, especially in relation to the millennial reign of Christ, of how that 1,000-year time period is going to work out. Um, and it's a topic I want to look at today. Now, my goal is to briefly, today, my goal is to briefly 
give a basic overview of the three most commonly and widely held views of, of Christian end times. Um, I'm not going to be able to get real deep in any one of these tonight uh, today, um, but I would in the future, after I introduce these, I do intend on doing um, maybe a, an individual episode for each of these different views and to maybe dive a little bit deeper I don't know that I can fully explain and expound each one of them fully. I mean, there are books upon books, probably nearly libraries, complete libraries that are libraries that are written on this topic alone. Um, but I do want to look at them today, and I'd like to introduce you to them. I know whenever I was younger and I had first started looking in uh, to this topic, I was amazed that not everyone believed the exact same way I had been raised. Um, it was surprising to me. Uh, and I enjoy looking at different views. I, I want the views that I look at to, to be based in the Bible. I want them to be um, in the in the in the general sense fitting within orthodoxy. Uh, and I I do believe that each one of these views can be said to fit within the veil of orthodoxy or what has been traditionally taught by the church. They are very different in some areas. Um, but for the most part, every one of them are going to have at least one thing in common, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ will return one day and judge those on the earth and judge the living and the dead. Um, every Christian looks forward to the day when Christ returns and we are judged and we enter into an eternal state. Now, I'm going to do my best to not... Uh, show too much exactly which position I hold to. I mean, I think it'll be, I don't know. I I feel like it would probably be obvious as to which one I would hold, but uh, by the way, I'll talk about them. But I want to do my best to to take a unbiased view and not saying that I don't have a preconceived, um, you know, ideas and presuppositions. I do. I will readily admit that. But instead of attacking any of these views and even trying to point out any of the holes in any of them, uh, tonight, I keep saying tonight, I'm sorry, today, what I want to do is I want to simply introduce us to each one of them. So uh, the first view that we're going to look at is going to be the all-millennial view. Uh, the second view will be the post-millennial view. The third is the pre-millennial view. Um, now, to get an idea of why they are called millennial and what exactly that term is um, talking about, all of these theories have a definite and fixed position as to the literal or figurative nature of the millennium. Now, the millennium is it's just a big fancy way of saying the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth um, or the 1,000-year reign because really... That wouldn't be fair to the two of them to say it has to be on earth. So it would the millennial would the millennium would be a time period that is said to be one thousand years, thus millennial. Um, and how that plays out is how you're going to find yourself in each one of these views. Um, but I want to look first in the Book of Revelation, chapter number twenty, because that's where uh, the central text that all of these theories, they revolve around this passage. Revelation chapter 20, start with verse number one. Uh, John speaking said, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. 
and he had and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. That is awesome. That is, I well anyway. That is exciting to read. Um, anyway, get back to the passage and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw and they and I saw thrones and they set upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now that's a passage that most all of these are going to revolve around and how you define that 1,000-year period that is referenced time and time again. That would be the millennium. Anytime it says till the 1,000 years, you could just as easily say till the millennium should be fulfilled. Um, How that is defined and how that is explained is really the crux of each one of these views. Now, first, I want to look at um, what's called the all-millennial view. Now, this view says there will be no literal 1,000-year reign of Christ physically on earth with his resurrected saints. It's called um, all-millennialism, or it's called all-millennial, and I'll probably go to and start calling it all-mill just for short. But um, it's called that because the A, or the all sound, at the beginning of the name means no. Like We would say they are amoral. Um, they are, uh, you know... Uh, different ways you would use that. It's really kind of a Latin or Greek thing um, that you would put that A on the first of the word and it signified no or it showed a negative context. So an all-millennial would be one who would say there is no literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. Some all-millennialists would really not like this term um, because of how they would define their view, but we'll get into that when I do just an entire episode on Amelie. Right now, I want to give just, like I said, a brief, very brief overview um, of this view. Now, this view would take a very symbolic and non-literal view of certain passages in the Bible dealing with the millennium and some other prophecies in the Bible. Um, there is some disagreement in this view on what the millennium specifically means in a symbolic manner. Um, again, there are, without getting too far into the weeds, there are some that would say uh, that the millennium has been fulfilled. There are some that would say it is being fulfilled. Um, but I don't want to get too far into the weeds. But just suffice it to say there is some disagreement, even in this camp, as to what it specifically means symbolically. Um, all mills would also teach, or this view, the all mill view would also teach that Satan is currently bound 
in some form or another. These would be some of the key things. They would say there's no millennium, not a literal one, a thousand year literal reign of Jesus on earth with Christians. They would say that or with saints. They would say that that's not literal. We shouldn't view that literally. They would say that Satan now is bound and has been bound in some form since the uh, resurrection of Christ. Amil also teaches that immediately at the end, uh, at the very end of time, that immediately when Jesus Christ returns in his second coming, that all of the dead are raised in what's called and known as a general resurrection. Both the wicked and the righteous are raised together. Um, and along with the living that are still alive on earth, righteous and wicked, they all are gathered together and they are brought before the throne of God and they are judged and immediately upon judgment, they enter into the eternal state, whether that be of bliss in heaven um, or in torments in the lake of fire. Uh, they would say that there is nothing that as soon as Jesus returns, instantly all the dead are raised and the righteous and wicked living are all brought to judgment before God. Um, so they would teach no millennial reign. They would teach um, that everything is complete in one fatal swoop. Some people like this. They, they feel that it's a clean, smooth way to look at it. But like I said, I don't want to get too far into it. So that, that would be the all-mill view, um, very briefly. Now, there is so much more, but that's just briefly a quick overview. The next view I want to look at is the post-millennial theory or view. This view would look at the millennium as an undefined historical period of time in which the church wins the world to the gospel through the power of the Spirit. Or, another way to say this is, that they would teach, post-mill would teach, that the world is Christianized by the church and by Christians. Um, some would go so far as to say that the entirety of the world is saved. Um, some would say that no, again, there's some disagreement here, that no, not everyone is saved, just a, a majority, a tipping point is reached in which the world is Christianized. At which point they would the post mill would state would state that at the point whenever the world becomes Christianized, whether entirely or to that tipping point, whatever that may be, um, at that point or at that period, Jesus will return and all of the dead will be raised in a general resurrection. And they will be judged along with the living. In this, in this sense, it is very much like the all-mill. And really, they have a lot in common. Um, but they would say, whereas the all-mill would say there is no millennial reign. Um, and again, we'll get into kind of some of what that means uh, in, in a later episode. But the post-mill would say, no, the millennial reign is its not a thousand years. It's an undetermined or undefined period of time. Some would say that it began uh, with the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Others would say that, well, there's been an ebb and a flow of the gospel as it's gone out to the world, and then uh, there have been times of revival or times of great missionary work, times of, of awakening, and then times where 
it has seemed as though it has dropped back in influence or lost some of the gospel has lost influence. And so some would say that really we haven't yet reached that time of, of, of the millennium. Um, but suffice it to say, they would all pretty much agree that it's not a specific thousand years. It could be longer, it could be shorter. It's an undefined period of time in which the church will Christianize the world, after which Jesus comes back, he returns all of the dead, just as in the all-mill view, all of the dead, wicked and righteous, are raised. There is a general resurrection. There is a judgment of those who have been resurrected and those who are yet living. And just like with all meal, they would say that immediately upon the judgment being completed, everyone enters the eternal state. Um, the third view that I would, oh, hang on, I'm sorry. Um, I, I need to point out, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, but I need to point out the fact that both all-meal and post-meal would in some form or another, or at least in some aspects, they would hold to what's called preterism. Uh, preterism is a view that says that either most, all of Bible prophecy has been fulfilled, or it would say that all Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, specifically around the year 70 AD as it relates to the return and second coming of Jesus, um, or maybe a little better way to say that would be as it relates to uh, the end times as it is given to us in Scripture. Um, but they uh, again, preterism, to repeat that, just to maybe clarify a little preterism, there are some who'd be, can, who would call themselves a partial preterist, and they would say that nearly all Bible prophecy has been fulfilled and was fulfilled as it relates to the end times around the year 70 AD. And they would say that the part that remains to be fulfilled would specifically be the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead. Some might hold in some form to say there may be an, a literal antichrist. Um, maybe, may, maybe there would be that. Uh, there's some difference of opinion there, but suffice it to say, they, the partial preterist would say that especially in the fact of Jesus returning and the resurrection of the dead, that hasn't happened, but everything else has happened. And again, around the year 70 AD. Now, a full preterist would say that not only was all of end time prophecy as it relates to the tribulation, the Antichrist, and persecution, as it relates to those, not only has all of that already happened, but they would say that the return of Jesus Christ has happened. Jesus has already returned for his own. Um, the dead have been raised. Um, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord has happened. And further than that, I have a little trouble understanding. And really, even understanding how they would put that out there, I have a little trouble with. But um, we'll look at some of that a little more in detail uh, when we go through these as an episode at a time, the all-meal, post-meal, and pre-meal views, uh, that'll come up again. But anyway, I needed to put that in there because really that uh, preterism, that plays a large uh, aspect and a large point in both the all-meal and the post-meal. Uh, thirdly, though, I want to look at the last view, which would be the pre-meal, the pre-millennium view or theory. The pre-millennium view Premillennial, 
premillennial view holds that there will be a distinct resurrection for at least some of the righteous, after which point the resurrected righteous are judged before Christ for rewards according to service. This would be the Bema seat that Paul speaks of when he says, uh, if we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ uh, to receive uh, for the things done in the body, whether they were good or whether they were evil, uh, this would be the Bema seat judgment. Um, that would be given that, that the righteous would appear before, not so much as to, to determine whether they go to heaven or hell, but if they've been resurrected at this point, this would be their resurrection, um, and they would be judged so as to see their responsibility during the millennial reign. Uh, rewards would be given based upon their service that would go with them into the millennial reign. Um, after this resurrection, there would be what follows a literal 1,000-year reign upon the earth. There would be a literal millennial reign. During the 1,000 years, uh, Premiel would teach that during the 1,000-year reign, during the millennial reign, the devil is at that time bound and confined. Um, after the 1,000 years, there is a last resurrection, which includes the wicked followed uh, followed by a final judgment and an entrance into the eternal state. Now, I'm, I'm hoping you caught the difference there. The all-mill would say there is no thousand-year reign. When Christ returns, there is one general resurrection. All the righteous, all the wicked are raised. The Those who are resurrected and those who are alive, they go to judgment and instantly go in to the eternal state. Post-mill would say the same basic concept there. There's one general resurrection, after which point the those who are resurrected, whether they be wicked or righteous, and those who are alive on earth, they are judged and instantly go into the eternal state. Whereas the premillennial view would say that there is a resurrection of at least some of the righteous, which is followed by a 1,000-year reign. Now, I'm, I'm obviously not getting into some specific topics, which we will get into later uh, whenever we're going more in depth, but just giving you a brief, basic overview. So they would say that there is a resurrection of at least some of the righteous. They rule and reign on Christ in a literal kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years, and that during that 1,000 years, it is at that time, we've already stated, that Satan is bound and confined. He is chained. He is put in the bottomless pit. At the end of that thousand years, Satan is loosed. He goes out to deceive the nations again. Um, there's a final battle. There is, at that point, a final resurrection after which the dead and living are judged, and then there's an entrance to the eternal state. So I'm, I'm trying to stress this fact and make it as clear as I can that this is what determines whether you are pre-meal, post-meal, or all meal is really how you deal with this millennial 1000 year reign of Christ. Um, it, it, now, it is in this view, the premillennial view, that it is, excuse me, that it is most common that a discussion of the rapture would come up, uh, whether a person is pre mid or post. It is most commonly in this view, the premillennial view, uh, that this is taught. There is also what is called the historical premillennial view. 
Um, and as I said, there are nuances to each one of these views that I'm going to get more in depth with. Um, but first, I just wanted to introduce these topics to us. Uh, I wanted to introduce because there was a time whenever I'd, I'd never heard of some of these. I, I knew the way I'd been taught and I could articulate that to an extent, um, but I'd never heard of some of these. And so I really just want to introduce you to them tonight, today. Um, in full disclosure, I'm recording this uh, episode. It's Monday night. Generally, I do it at a different time, but just to kind of worked out to, to where I could do this, and then I'll post it on Tuesday morning. But anyway, um, no matter which view one holds as it relates to the millennium, we as Christians, we should show toleration and tolerance and understanding and acceptance to that individual. Uh, this doesn't mean we don't defend our view. It doesn't mean we don't defend and we're not willing to discuss or debate our uh, our stance. But it would be wrong to say that because, of, as we've already stated, it would be wrong to say that because someone has a different view that they are not saved. I'm not saved because of my view on the end time. I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. It is by grace, as it says in Ephesians, that we are saved through faith. So in areas like this, where I'm not, um, but really doesn't have a lot of bearing on that. Now, anyway, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on any of these. Now, let me just quickly hasten to say and try and wrap this up uh, by saying that how someone believes on this shouldn't affect whether or not I think they're a Christian or not, whether or not I would feel that or believe that they are a brother or sister in Christ or not. Personally, I love to discuss and debate this topic. It's among my favorite. I jokingly say that uh, my two favorite topics uh, to discuss would be religion and politics, and especially when it comes to religion, um, it would be eschatology. I love the study of the end times. I mean, if you're going to discuss something, let's discuss things that are going to bring some passion up in people and you get into end time belief and you talk religion and you talk politics it it'll stir things up um but i do think that when you have a discussion especially on this topic you should do it as with the understanding that you are brothers in christ or you're sisters in christ and your difference of opinion on this topic does not affect that um we should keep our discussion civil um, they should be cordial. They should be friendly. This doesn't mean you're not passionate about it. Um, it doesn't mean you don't get excited about it. But it does mean that it shouldn't stir anger or hatred um, toward the person that you're discussing this with. That's really been something of late that really there has been a lot of unchristian attitude. Um, we as Christians should have the ability. Jesus said that we would be known by our love one for another, our love of the brethren. And if I can't talk to someone who maybe has a difference of opinion with me in this area and I can't still love them and understand that Christ died for them and that they are saved, and if they can't have that same understanding of me that maybe we differ on this point, but this doesn't mean that Christ didn't die for me. This doesn't mean that, that, that somehow I'm outside of the family of God because I have a different view. That would be wrong. That would not be right. And it wouldn't be productive either. The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron. And so we ought to be ready and willing to discuss topics, to study topics, to to know what we believe. Uh, some people look at this and they'll say, ah, oh, if it's not that important, then I'm not even going to study it. 
that is not what I'm advocating. I'm not advocating uh, for someone to be lazy and for someone to be disinterested. Uh, Rather, I think we should diligently study to understand what God tells us in his word. We ought to know what we believe and why we believe it. Um, Anyway, I'm going way too long. But in conclusion, I would like to say that let's go out, let's be the light of the world, let's be a city set on a hill, let's be salt, let's be light, let's remember, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, therefore he said in verse 2, therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, and the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us wake up. Let's go out and let's win a lost world for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord bless you.